Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. So I don't know what this is about, but there is, um, there's no splash zone. You know, like this isn't SeaWorld, so. And I brushed my teeth this morning, so. That's all right. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks uh, for this day. We ask that you would open your word to us uh, this morning in ways um, that we might behold and confess what Thomas did, my Lord and my God, that we would know what that means and means for us and for eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, So on the the first day of the week, um, Mary came to the tomb of Jesus. So if we would have read earlier in John chapter 20, you would have seen she she saw uh, the empty tomb. And uh, today is the first day of the week. Easter begins on the first day of the week and on Sunday because it signals something that is, that's new. Um, in the first day, it's the first day, it's the first time, it's the first encounter uh, of something that has never happened before. Um, Christians believe that um, in the first century there was something that happened that has never happened before. Um, a man died and uh, three days later, uh, the tomb was empty, and um, we believe that he, he rose from the dead, physically, bodily. And um, this man who died, who is now risen, uh, will never die again. And he holds out, and he promises, he offers um, life to everyone who believes in him, such that they will also rise as he rose. So that's what Christians believe. And so if Jesus is dead... He has absolutely nothing to offer us. I mean, it's completely pointless and worthless and meaningless for us to be meeting on any Sunday, let alone Easter Sunday, if Christ has not been raised, right? If Jesus is dead, we have nothing. But if he's alive, then he has absolutely everything to give us as both the creator of all things and the redeemer. Um. So last year before, uh, during Easter, I guess last Easter Sunday, I spent a lot of time um, talking about the women who first came to the tomb and, um, you know, offered several arguments um, kind of, um, you know, to, to support uh, why we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, not the other alternative theories like the alien stolen body theory. Anybody remember that one? Yeah. 
So, so um, you can listen to that sermon online, I'm sure. Um, but uh, today I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I want us to focus in on what Jesus says and does with Doubting Thomas. Um, it's one week after Easter that this encounter happens, and I think that's important. And, and the question that I want to ask you this morning, I want us to, to think about, is, is what difference does Easter Sunday make for you after Easter is passed, after it's gone? So like next week, you know, does Easter make any difference at all for you? It's a question I want you to hold out and to, and to be thinking about this morning. Um, because I think what happens with Thomas is what needs to happen with all of us. We need to move from doubt to faith, from, from unbelief to belief. Because um, every, every single one of us in this room is an unbeliever. For that insight, I'm grateful to Jeff Vanderstel, who taught me that one. But everybody in this room is an unbeliever. And yes, you heard me correctly. The pastor is saying, everyone's an unbeliever. That includes me. Oh boy, what is this guy saying? Why did I come to church this morning? Um, even the person who's, who's most devout, who's, who's progressed the most in the Christian life, the person that you can look up to the most and you respect the most for their godliness, even that person is an unbeliever in some area of their life. They do not fully embrace and believe that Christ is risen in every facet of their life. And they don't fully believe the whole gospel in every area of their life. Um, so every one of us is an unbeliever with some area of unbelief. Um, like when you're attracted to sin and you feel so weak and you're unable to, to, to refuse it. Or, or, or when you've been hurt by someone... And instead of offering forgiveness, you jump straight to vengeance, retribution. Um, Or you're going through a low point in your marriage, and you don't want to love your husband or your wife. You just don't. You refuse to. Um, Or you're dealing with that difficult child, and you're just out of patience. You are just done. (laughs) Or... Uh, you're not sure what you're going to do with work. You don't like your current job, but you fear that God will not continue to provide for you. So you're in a bind. Um, we all struggle with unbelief in some area of our lives, some place. And it, it's exactly why we need to hear this story about doubting Thomas. So God can bring us from doubt to belief again and again. And so... So what we look at here is, um, so this is after the scene, is after the other disciples have seen the risen Christ, and they all believe that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And so Mary Magdalene um, and the other women and the ten out of the original twelve all believe that Jesus is actually risen. And then Thomas comes in, verse 24, it says, the one who was not with them when Jesus came now comes around. And Thomas's reaction is exactly the kind of reaction that we would have. Verse 25. Unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, Thomas says. I'll never believe unless I can do that. What's your reason that you'll never believe? What is it that's in the way of you coming to faith 
and believing in the promises of God for you. The resurrection, that historical event, um, is as impossible to a man like Thomas as it is to many of us. Impossible to conceive of, impossible to believe. Because resurrections don't normally happen, right? And when was the last time you, you met somebody, you know, even like Bruce Lee, right? He said he was going to rise. I don't, don't, he never did. Um, when a person dies, you know, the funny thing about it is they stay dead. Like, they don't come back. Well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Um, people in the first century were no different with questioning a resurrection, the kind of event that happened here. Everyone in these narratives... Um, took a while, too, to, to understand it, to believe it. So you know, Mary Magdalene, um, you know, the first to, to kind of c- to come to the tomb, um, uh, she actually had the risen Jesus talking to her, and he, at first she mistakes him for a gardener. Um, and then uh, Peter and John, they also took a long time. And, and even the, the ten disciples... You know, they needed for Jesus to appear before them, before they all really believed. And so it's absolutely understandable, it makes sense that, that Thomas would ask, that he, and, and that he would doubt the testimony of the disciples. Like, guys, <laughs> I was there Good Friday, like, we all saw him die, we all saw him go in that tomb, like, we know that happened. Um, People who die don't come back. And so, eight days later, verse 26, the disciples, they're, they're hiding out again, probably for fear of the Jews, fearing their lives. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes out and he, st- he stands among them. It's like, oh, hi, Jesus. Um, it's, kinda, it's like, no wonder why um, he says, he says, peace be with you. Um, you know, the doors are locked, you're hanging out with, your, with the guys, and, uh, and suddenly somebody appears in the middle of the room before you. It's like, peace be with you, and also with you. You know, it's like, where did that come from? What's going on? Um, so Jesus shows up, and he, and he says to Thomas, verse 27, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. He says, do not disbelieve, but, but believe. And really, I mean, the force of what he's saying is, is stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Stop your doubt. Stop doubting. I'm alive. I'm right here. Um, I was an atheist once, and um, before coming to faith, I had many doubts, many reservations. And then even after being a Christian still have doubts, still have questions that come up as I'm reading the scriptures, as I'm studying, as I'm meditating, as I'm praying, as I'm hearing what people are going through. Doubt is a real thing. We still doubt sometimes. Lord, help our unbelief. What's remarkable about this example, though, is that seeing is not believing. Um, In all the appearances of Jesus... Uh, people are struck by massive cognitive dissonance. I mean, they can't get their heads around like what's happening. He's, he's right here, but they just can't come to gr- grips with the unlikelihood of the event. They can't grasp a physical risen Christ. That the same Jesus who was pierced 
and who had nails in his hands and who was hung on a cross is standing right there. Um, I think a lot of us have had a moment in life that maybe you can reflect back and you're thinking about it. Maybe you've had it this week. Um, where you've had one of those moments, you know, God, show me a sign. Almost like the comical, like, what is it, Bruce Almighty, I think. And he's, like, driving. God, show me a sign. There, He's, like, driving behind a sign truck or whatever, right? Something like that. Maybe that's, it's like, go, show me a sign. It's like, signs are right there. It's just like, a different sign, Lord. Give me a different sign. Um, prove to me that you exist, though. I mean, I mean we all have that, that question, you know, burning inside of us at some point in life. As cliche as, it, as, as that is, God, show me a sign, right? Um, a lot of us have, have kind of wanted that, though. Uh, anybody want that ever? Kind of confused, lost, wondering, questioning, doubting? Um, I think the thing is, though, we don't really need more evidence, per se. Um, we don't need another sign. Uh, we, we just need to re-examine the promises of God and the historical evidence that is there. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. The tomb was empty for no other reason than a real resurrection that took place. And, and so if, if you find yourself in that place of searching for a sign, I think the most important thing that you can do right now, um, if you're someone who's been questioning Christianity, the most important thing you can do right now is to spend a ton of time investigating. Camp out in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hang out there for a while. Then go ahead and read all the alien stolen body theories and all that fun stuff. All the other possibilities. But really camp out and look at the story that's there. Um, they won't hold up those other alternative options. Um, journalists, journalists, lawyers, historians, um, anyone who, who, who really takes that journey and says, you know what, I want to find out the truth for myself. I want to see if this whole thing is true. Um, they end up finding out that Jesus is risen. Um, so if that's where you're at, search the scriptures, test them, take that step. I pray that you will come to trust the testimony of the disciples, as Thomas eventually did, um, and that you will see the Lord as they say, we have seen the Lord. Um, but let's not overlook this. Um, a week ago, Thomas was complaining to the disciples with his friends, um, unless I see the marks, I will never believe. Unless I see proof, I will never believe. And that was a private conversation amongst themselves that they were saying, um, right after they said, we have seen the Lord. And, and so Thomas says, no, I need to see it to believe it. How do you think that Jesus uh, found out about this? Uh, was there another uh, resurrection appearance? Um, an encounter with the disciples in, in between in this story right here where um, you know, Jesus shows up with the disciples and they say, Jesus, hey, uh, you better show your scars to Thomas because he's still doubting a little bit. You know? Is that what happened? No. <laughs> Thomas realizes. What does Thomas realize? Thomas realizes that Jesus has heard his complaint even when he was not physically present. Thomas doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. And now with Jesus standing right in front of him, showing, you know, go ahead, touch my hands.
Now with Jesus standing in front of him, he's crushed with the reality that his Lord heard him a week ago when he was grumbling and doubting. Because Jesus is God. He's omnipresent. Everywhere, always, at every time. He can hear our every thought. He can hear our every doubt. Our every question. Our every lament. Our every prayer. We don't know if Thomas um, touched the marks in his hands. He probably didn't need to. But that's speculation, so I don't know. But Thomas was so overwhelmed in this moment with awe and reverence and, and shock that Jesus is really alive, that he utters the confession, my Lord and my God. Acknowledging Jesus as um, holding the same name, the same title, um, the name of God, Yahweh, the great I am, uh, before Abraham I was, and all the I am statements in the Gospel of John, and, and all the, the, the I am statements in the Bible, that he is that one, the, the, the creator of all things, the self-existent um, one, the uncreated one. And he bears the name God. He is God. And so here we have the most blatant confession that Jesus is God in the entire New Testament. That Jesus was clearly worshipped as God. And so Thomas's uh, statement here is not just propositional, not just, you know, God is God, okay. Um, Jesus is, is God, but, but Jesus is my God. It's personal. He believes that Jesus died for him. He believes that the gospel is not just true for others, but also for me also. And so here's the strongest coming to faith moment in the whole Gospel of John. Um, we all think of, of, of Thomas as doubting Thomas. Um, and that's like exclusively like how we remember this guy Thomas. Like, poor, like there's betraying Judas, and then there's denying Peter and doubting Thomas. And many of you have heard me say that many times now, right? At this point, you're like doubting Thomas. Like that's, I always think about Thomas as the guy who always questions and doubts and stuff. That's not entirely true anymore. Because what John wants us to, wants us to see in this gospel is that doubting Thomas is now believing Thomas. Confessing Thomas. Thomas serves as this prime example of what it means to come to faith in Jesus, to believe in the Son of God. And now, except the, the way for people to come to Jesus isn't going to be anymore by seeing the risen Christ appear right in front of you, but he says, by hearing. Verse 29, as Jesus says, he says, Blessed, happy, are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus pronounces this blessing, this benediction, on all those who come to faith to believe in Jesus, not on the basis of seeing, but on the basis of hearing. Of hearing. And he's referring to all of us. Man, you, you are blessed if, unlike Thomas, you believe in Jesus without ever having seen the risen Lord, but you've opened up your Bible 
and you see him on the pages of this holy book. You can see Jesus because of what you've heard or what you've read. And so here, I mean, John, um, as a gospel writer, and Jesus as a speaker uttering these words, is inviting us to make the same confession that Thomas did, my Lord and my God. He wants us to make that confession, to say that I believe. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday? Some 2,000 years ago, do you believe that? Does that describe you? Does that define what you believe? Do you believe that he offers you eternal life in his name? Will you trust in him? True faith is not seeing. It's holding God at his word, trusting in what he has promised, trusting in what he has said and what he has done for you personally. And so the confession of Thomas changed absolutely everything for him. Maybe you didn't know this. Maybe you did. 30 years after this moment in Thomas' life, he dies for what he believes. He dies for his faith as a martyr, as someone who confessed Jesus till death. Could have denied Jesus and not died, but he chose to confess Christ and die for his faith. Why would somebody die for a lie if Jesus was not raised? Well, Thomas believed that on that day, and then 30 years later, right before he did die, that Christ was alive and that he too would be alive by believing in Jesus. So the question is, what, what do you, so what if you believe in the resurrection today? What difference does that make? Does it make a difference for you personally? Does it make any difference at all? Is there any change because you believe that message? Is there any difference? You believe Jesus died on Good Friday, okay. And he was raised for you on Easter Sunday. You believe that you're accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now what? What does it mean for you now? First of all, holy moly, like, that's great. Like, first of all, I'm accepted and I'm loved by God through Jesus. I have a father now who cares. I may have had a a derelict father in life or a father who didn't care. Now I have a father who cares. That's cool. But uh, something else, I think it makes a, a world of difference in the present to know that there's a future. Um, let me tell you why. Um, why is it so hard for us to suffer injustice? Why is it so hard to deal with chronic pain um, to hurt, to be in need, or to have a bad diagnosis? Why is it so hard to watch a friend or a family member die? Why is it so hard to do the right thing when you risk losing your job? Why is that so hard? Why are all of these things so hard? I think it's so hard because we believe that this life is all there is. We believe that this is the only world that we live for. And so it's all about protecting and maintaining and holding on to the status and the power and the wealth and the health that we have because this life is all there is. This is all I get. I better live it now and have it 
be the best life now and protect it and hold on to it and grab it and keep it as long as I can and just enjoy it, man. Live it up. But if Christ is risen, then there's more to life than this. If Christ is alive, it's not the only life. This is not the only body. This is not the only world that there is. So if Jesus rose from the dead on Easter, who really cares about what happens in this life? Because your future is set. Your future is fixed. You have a hope and a future that nobody can take from you, not even death. And so Jesus shows Thomas his hands and his side, and he shows his wounds, and he's saying, by my wounds you have been healed, Thomas. On Good Friday, man, they all, all these disciples, they thought differently about the world. I mean, it was a shipwreck, and they were all scattered. They thought their hopes and dreams were dashed. They believed that they followed a lunatic or a liar because Jesus wasn't really who he said he was because he died a horrible, shameful, public condemning death, being crucified outside the gates of of Jerusalem on the streets for for mockers and passerbyers to just look at and go, don't do what that guy did. But Jesus endured the cross, and he went to the cross because he knew he was going to rise again. And so the scars and wounds of Christ are a picture of the gospel. They're a picture of what God has done in Christ. A reminder that it is finished. Jesus has done it. There's nothing left for you to do anymore. And that God accepts you in Christ. And that Jesus has taken all of your scars, all of the wrong that you have done in life, that you have done to others, or that wrong that has been done by others to you, And he's taken those scars upon himself for you personally. For you. And so the resurrection, it changes everything, doesn't it? It's the end of life as we've known it and the beginning of a far better, more beautiful life. And it's a life that we can start living right now. Um, In the Gospel of Luke, for example... Jesus tells us to invite people into our house who cannot pay us back, who have nothing to offer us in return. He says, invite those people in to your dinner banquet. It's really weird advice, um, really odd advice if you're living only for this world. And, but he gives this advice because in his kingdom, Jesus invites to his dinner party those who cannot pay him back. Those who can offer him and give him nothing back in return, he offers. He says, welcome, come to my table and eat. And he invites us in our nakedness. He invites us in our sin. And he clothes us and he forgives us. And he feeds us. And so living with the hope of the resurrection, with that reality on our minds and in our hearts, well, with our hands we can invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the beggars, the unpopular, the the overlooked, the marginalized, because that's who we are fundamentally. Our debt has been paid, and so we can pay the debts of others. 
Jesus invites us to share table fellowship with the voiceless and the neglected and the unheard because he wants our church to reflect his new kingdom. That's just one example of resurrection life, but do you see what a difference the resurrection makes in your life? You've got a new life to live in Christ? Go live it. Be free. Live in the freedom and the power that he has won for you. Christ is risen. It is finished. That news changes everything. Let's pray.